Good morning. Welcome to Thousand Hills. So good to see all of you here uh, today. And uh, my name is Sebastian van Westen, lead pastor here at Thousand Hills. I want to welcome everyone who's here for the first time. Those of you who are watching online and those of you who are here every week, let's welcome you in this room. So good to have you with us today. Um, a couple of things before I get started with, with today's message. Um, uh, Easter weekend is coming up. It's, it's very close now, and uh, it's going to be a good weekend. How are you looking forward to the Easter weekend? Yeah, it's about three people here, about one person there. Uh, what about that? You know, I think we're all looking forward to this, right? Because we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and it's where, you know, where, we, where hope is found. And it's going to be a great weekend. We have um, Good Friday services, which are very different than normal services. And in fact, it's a, it's a communion service, so the, it will all be focused around uh, um, communion, basically. Um, and also we'll look at uh, links between communion as we celebrate it today with, uh, with, with um, the history of Israel and how that kind of ties in together. It will be a bilingual experience, and your kids are welcome as well. So this is going to be an all-family event. We have two services, and everything is going to be bilingual. So you could join basically any of those two services here in Hilversum or the one in Huizen, which is going to be just in Dutch, obviously, because it's a Dutch location. Then we have an Easter party. How many of you are excited about Easter party? Okay. Um, and at Thousand Hills, we, we truly believe what, what Jesus says is that uh, he said, you know, let the children come to me. Jesus loves children. Jesus really sees potential in them. He even says to us as adults that we need to become like children. And uh, so it's going to be an amazing event. Uh, where, uh, I want to encourage you to, to encourage your kids to bring as many friends from school or from the neighborhood along to that event. We want it to be an outreach, uh, a way to basically showcase God's love and God's, God's care for, for kids and for families as well. And uh, I just want to encourage you to do that. It's going to be a fun thing. There will be bouncy castles. It's just going to be an all-over fun thing to be a part of. So make sure you put it in your calendar and do everything you can to promote it. Then on Sunday, we have, uh, Easter Sunday, we have two services here, regular service times. But what we're going to do uh, is we're going to set as many seats in this place so that we can actually have your family, friends, and, and, and um, neighbors, that we have space for them as well. Uh, just make this room as, as, as open for as many people as possible. It's going to be a great service. If you have been part of Thousand Hills during an Easter before, you know that we always want to add some extra elements to our service going to be great. So, um, so make sure you invite your friends, your neighbors, your family members for that as well. There are flyers available for you at the Welcome Center in the back that have both the information about the Easter services and the, um, the Easter party. So you could use those uh, when you talk to your friends and your neighbors about, about this event. And I truly believe that when we pray for our friends, for our neighbors, when we invite them, when we bring them, that God is going to do something amazing in their life, lives as well and that they will experience the same things that you have experienced of, of, of being in a relationship with God, with Jesus, of being part of this church. And that's what, what I wish for everyone in, in our community, um, in Hilversum and all the surrounding areas. So let's, uh, let's do it. And then there's another thing I wanna, I wanna communicate to you at this moment, and that's the fact that there will be a leadership transition happening at Thousand Hills in the coming few weeks. And it, it relates to our Huizen campus. We have two, we're a church that has two locations, one here and one in Huizen. And they're as much part of Thousand Hills as this location is. And uh, at Thousand Hills, we're all about developing 
people and sometimes the best thing to do is to release them from their current role so that they have the opportunity to step into a role that even better matches their gifts and their talents and their passion. Because we're all about, here thousands, we're all about releasing people into the full potential that God has for them. That's why we do Next Steps, for instance, as well, because we believe in helping you find your God-given potential. And um, it, 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 it's, it's all about Pastor Kuhn Prinsen, and I think some of you know him here. He sometimes preaches here in the English service as well. And he's been with us for the last 10 years. And um, he always had a calling on his life to pastor and to teach. And we believe that a time has come for us to rele release him in that calling. We feel that he has grown tremendously over those past 10 years and that the time to send him off is, is soon. He will find a new place outside of Thousand Hills to be a lead pastor of a church somewhere. And in order for him to have the space to think and plan this transition, we will be releasing him from his responsibility at the Huizen campus as of March 25. Now, we believe in bringing stability. We, we really, um, Thousand Hills Housing is as important to, to me as this location. And we want to bring stability to this, stamp, to the, to this campus. So we, um, we were praying about this whole situation. And, and we really felt led by the Lord to actually ask one couple uh, that, um, that has been part of our lead team for a while now, um, at least one of them has been part of our lead team for a while now too, to step into um, this campus, into the leadership of this campus for a season. And Pastor Kari Vermund, Kari, why don't you step up, uh, get up with your husband, Daniel as well, Daniel. They will be, um, will be leading that campus uh, as of um, uh, March 25, and um, they have had a tremendous impact on Thousand Hills, both Thousand Hills kids that Kyrie is leading and, and Daniel as a band leader with our worship team. They've had a tremendous impact in developing people, developing leaders in this church. And so, so I truly believe that, that they will be very successful in actually um, helping this campus to the next, to make some next steps and to grow uh, towards the future. And, um, you know, they, they both will remain in their current roles here in Hilversum, but uh, Kari will, uh, has already shifted a lot of her day-to-day -day responsibility on Sundays to another uh, great leader in our church, Bob Ten Hagen. Why don't we give it up for Bob as well? And um, so that actually gives her the freedom to, uh, to step into this role in, in Huizen. And, uh, and, and Daniel will still be involved in worship here, uh, I think, every other week. So you'll be seeing him more than her, but they'll be as much part of Thousand Hills as, uh, as all, of our, all of our lead team. And um, so it's going to be a great step, I believe. Now, we really believe in, in God's call on the life of Kuhn and his wife, Anya. We know that it may take a while for them uh, to figure out what the next step will be. Um, but in this season of uh, uncertainty, we are committed to uh, standing with them, supporting them in this process. And during this transition phase, when they phase out of Huizen, uh, they will uh, both remain on staff in Hilversum. Uh, at, actually, they will remain on, their, on our central staff here at Thousand Hills. And on March 25, they will make that transition out of that role. And from that moment onwards, they will be attending Thousand Hills Hilversum for this season. And uh, we're so thankful. We're really thankful for um, the leadership that they've exercised in these last couple of years, uh, for their love for uh, Thousand Hills and um, for the support that, that, uh, that they've always given to, to me and the rest of our team. And uh, they've poured out so much in this housing camp 
campus. And we're so proud of them and we believe uh, God's best days are ahead for them as much as, as they are for Thousand Hills Housing and Thousand Hills overall. And we wanna ask you to support them as they look for a new uh, ministry opportunity. Um, and uh, so pray for them and pray for their family as they uh, are in this time of transition. I also wanna ask you to pray for Kari and Daniel as they get involved with the leadership there and, um, and ask the Lord for wisdom on the next steps to take for that, that location. I truly believe uh, God has an amazing plan for the city, uh, actually town of Huizen, and, uh, and God is gonna, they're going to be instrumental in that in that transition. So let's put our hands together for them one more time. So today I wanna, I wanna talk to you for a few moments uh, about chapter four of the book of Genesis. And actually the first, uh, first um, verses on that chapter are about um, two guys, uh, one uh, called Cain and the other called Abel, the sons of Adam. And Eve. And last week we talked about uh, Adam and Eve and how they, uh, because of disobedience, were basically kicked out of the Garden of Eden and how they um, moved from, from being sons and daughters of God, a son and a daughter of God, how they became a spiritual orphan, how they became spiritual slaves, really, uh, because they were trying to hide from God. They, they, they tried to be as far uh, away from Him as possible, from God as possible. And um, so it was spiritual uh, orphans they became. And, and if you weren't here last how many of you were, were here last week? How many of you were here? That means, that means that the rest of you weren't here last week. Uh, that means that you have homework, uh, and that is to go online uh, to, um, to the Thousand Hills website or to our Facebook page and look up the sermon from last week and watch it because I believe it's a crucial, crucial message. And I don't say this lightly, but I truly believe this message can change your life. And, you know, um, I think it might be the most important message I ever preached in these last 10 years, sorry, 12 years of leading Thousand Hills. So make sure to, to watch it. Uh, but the story that we're going to look at today is really a continuation of the story of yesterday. Really, you see the same patterns happening in the life of these two guys, Cain and Abel, that you saw in the lives of, of Adam and Eve. Well, let's just briefly pray and ask God to, to open our, our hearts for him. Lord, we just pray right now. We thank you for who you are. We thank you, God, that, um, that whatever transition happens in church, that, that you're, um, you're in control of everything. And I pray that you would prosper a thousand hills, or both locations, God, and that you would be with um, Kun and Anya, and that you would be with all of us, Lord, today. And I just pray, Lord, right now that you would open our hearts and, and, and give us wisdom, give us understanding uh, how this passage that we're going to read today is going to change our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So let's read. Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Now Adam had sexual relations with his wife, Eve, and she became pregnant. And when she gave birth to Cain, she said, with the Lord's help, I've produced a man. Later she gave birth to his brother and named him Abel. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Now, there's so much that we can learn from passages like this one that take place in the earliest ages of human history. There's two sons that were mentioned here, Cain and Abel. And Abel became a shepherd, and Cain became a farmer producing crops, growing crops. And both did valid works, and they were, each of them was able to, to give back to God a portion of what God had given to, to them. 
And this is so important for us to realize because Cain and Abel and us, we, we have to realize that it is God who created this world. That's what the first three chapters of, of, of the Bible show us. God created the world. It's not our doing. And this is God. That's the second point. You know, he, he gives us the strength to work. And then the third point here is that God gives us the increase when we work. Everything we have is because of what he has given to us first. And for some reason, this one guy, Abel, realized that. He realized that everything that he owned was actually not his, it was the Lord's. God had given it to him. And, and, and to say thank you for that, basically what he did is he took uh, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. He gave God the first and the best. But Cain, he struggled with that idea. He presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. You notice the difference here. The best versus some. Abel brought a thoughtful offering. He actually brought an offering that cost him something. He went through his flocks and he looked at that one little lamb that he thought was the most beautiful, the most precious, and he decided, I mean, this sounds strange in our ears, right, as, as Christians uh, who, who love, you know, animals and so on, that you would sacrifice a little lamb. Thank God we don't have to do it anymore. That, that, but that was the way how they did it back in those days. And they, they took the best lamb and, and, and he gave it to the Lord. That's what Abel did, the first and the best. Cain, however, he had a bag of wheat or flour, a bag of wheat or whatever, you know, grain. And he took a hand out of that bag and just kind of left it there. God, this is what I'm giving to you. It was a faultless offering that, that Cain gave to God. Abel gave a thoughtful offering. Cain gave a faultless offering. Abel gave something that cost him something. Cain gave something that didn't cost him anything, really. And, you know, for me, personally, I've, I've, I've experienced this in my own life. I, I think when I became a Christian, I had no clue about this. I had no, no clue about these principles that, that actually Abel understood. I had no clue about it. You know, I heard my pastor speak about tithes and, and setting aside 10% of your income, and he hardly ever talk, talked about it, and it never really spoke to me. It's like, as for the next person. It's not for me, you know, I, I, don't have, I don't have enough money to do this. And I would, you know, every time when the offering bag would come by, I would put in a euro, or they didn't have euros back in those days, it was guilders. As I got, I just put something in there. I, I, I want to look, you know, good. I actually give something, I contribute something. But it never, it was not until uh, God really revealed to me how important this principle is for my own life that, that I really started to do it and I started to see the reap the harvest, the reap the blessings from, from doing this. In the beginning, I, I was afraid to do it, but God had to show it to me that this is actually, that, that he got it all under control if I did this. Cain struggled with that idea. Abel had that revelation. So my first take home was this one. What, what I give back to God shows where my heart is because it's a matter of the heart, what's going on here. True thankfulness to God and trust in him start with giving back to God your first fruits, which is basically the first 10% of your increase, which means that when you, when you get your paycheck, instead of kind of taking that whatever is left and giving it to God, you know, the first thing you do is actually, well, how much money um, did God give to me this month? And I'm going to set aside that first 10% and give it to him. I'm not sure how I'm going to make it the rest of the month, but hey, I trust him. 
And let me give that one piece and give it back to God because it's not mine, it's God's. Abel realized that. And I want you to understand here, if you're part of Thousand Hills, that this is, this is not a fundraising strategy. When we talk about tithes, when we talk about setting aside 10% of our income, this is not a fundraising strategy. Because, um, you know, it's not a way to kind of make sure that the budget is being met and that there's enough money to do, you know, to make sure the heaters are on, which is, I'm thankful that we have heaters, you know, don't misunderstand me. But that's not the reason why we talk about tithing. We talk about it because it's a spiritual principle, a spiritual principle that can change your life can bless you, can give you, uh, can allow you to step into the full uh, blessing that God has for your life. And, um, you know, Proverbs 3 verse 9 says this, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your crops. The New Living Translation says this way, uh, honor the Lord with the best of everything you produce, the first and the best. That's what belongs to God. It doesn't belong to us. And in fact, Malachi chapter three is a chapter that speaks about it in, in, uh, quite, quite extensively. And it shows that, that God's people, the Israelites, they were robbing God from something that was already uh, owned by the Lord, and it was a tithe. They acted like that first 10% that of their income, of their increase, was theirs. And because they were robbing God, they came under a curse, but, but God promised them blessing if they would return to him with their whole heart. There is a direct link between your heart and your wallet. There is a direct link between your heart and your bank account. That's basically what I believe God is trying to say to us today. So Malachi 3 verse 10 says this, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not pour, throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Just a few things here in this passage that I want to highlight. You know, God says to us that we need to bring the whole tithe, not just part of it, but the whole tithe to the storehouse. Now, what is a storehouse? Back in Israel's day, it was the temple. It was the place where, uh, basically, where the whole worship of God, of God was centered around the temple. And of course, in, the, in our day today, we don't have temples anymore. You know, we, our bodies are actually um, uh, living temples for the Lord. But, uh, but there is a storehouse, and that's the local church that you're a part of. It's a, it's a local church where, where you're being fed, where, where your children have, a, have the opportunity to hear more about God and grow in their relationship with God. It's the place where, uh, where we're being fed spiritually, where, where we're encouraged to take new steps in our, in our life that will, will help us get to the place where God wants us to be. That's a storehouse. And God says, test me, test me. Put me to the test. There's very few places in Scripture where God says to mankind that we can test him, but we can test him in this area. Just try it. See what happens. And, and I truly believe when we try it, that it doesn't necessarily mean that everything will be all good right away, but I believe God is going to really you know, do what he says he will do here. He says that he will throw open the floodgates of heaven. How many of you want to live under an open heaven? About five of you. We, we all want to live under an open heaven, right? And, and, but God says, when, we, when you test me in this area, I will do that. I will do that very thing. And, and he says that there will not be enough room to store it. How cool is that? So you bring something to the storehouse, to the temple, and 
As a result of that, as a result of, of putting God first in your finances, your own storehouses will be filled to overflow. You don't have enough room anymore to hold it in anymore. And it's, it, this is not just a financial thing. This is, you know, God wants to bless us abundantly in our personal life. He wants to give us peace above understanding. He wants, to, he wants to bless us in our family life. He wants to bless us in our workplace. In every area of our lives, he wants to bless us. Every area. And that's what he does when we put him first in this way. By bringing to God's storehouse what is already his, the Israelites could show to him that they were really serious about returning to him with their whole heart. Their actions would show their heart attitude. And God would not only return to them with his presence, he would also return, pour out his blessing on his people. And God said to them in, in verse seven, a couple of verses earlier, he says, now return to me and I will return to you. And that was Cain's problem. That was Cain's problem. His faultless offering showed where his heart was. Far from God. And in no way did he want to return to him. He just wanted to, to perform his religious duty, make, make sure he looked good from the outside, and just kind of put something in that bag, and that's it, you know. Everybody saw I gave something. That's what, what this man Cain did. But his, what he gave showed where his heart was. Now, my question to you today is, what does your bank statement show about where your heart is? Cain's heart. He didn't have a bank account, so he didn't have a gift app, nothing like that. But his heart was far from God. But Abel's heart wanted to be close to him. Cain had an orphan spirit, a slave spirit, but Abel had the spirit of a son. And you know what? An orphan or a slave can't stand to be in the presence of a of a son or a daughter. Because when you or I, when we have a, a warm relationship with our heavenly father and, 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 and you know, it, it's just such a, such a wonderful relationship that we have and, and we live out of the overflow of that. Somebody who, who maybe had that relationship before but now uh, kind of li lives like a slave, kind of lives like an orphan separated from their relationship with God. They look at you, it's like, look at how, how spiritual that person is. Look at how, you know, warm and fuzzy, he's speaking to God, you know, daddy God. And I'm not necessarily a person who would use that word, daddy God, but I think it's, 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 there's great value in, in really having that close relationship with our father and using words like that because he is our daddy. He's our heavenly daddy, our heavenly father. We can draw near to him. We can basically sit on his lap if you take it serious what the Bible says about our relationship with God. So when God accepted Abel's sacrifice, but he didn't accept Cain's sacrifice, you know what happened? Cain went, became angry, angry at his brother. And it says this, this made Cain very angry and he looked dejected. It's like there's a darkness, dark cloud that came upon, uh, upon this man, um, Cain. And then God starts a conversation with Cain. And I think this is so important what we see right here because, you know, um, Cain did what was wrong, right? But God is, God knows that there is a breach in that heart connection between him and, and this man Cain and he does everything that he can to restore the relationship. He does everything he can to reach out to Cain. And I'm, I'm so thankful that we, we serve a God who his heart goes out after our heart. How I many you are happy about it? Let's just put our, let's give him a praise break for that. Thank you, Jesus. It's so good to know that, that God's heart is looking for our heart. And God tried that. 
with Cain. He tried to pull his heart back to him, trying to start a conversation to, to help him be, make that orphan heart, that, that slave heart, turn into a son's heart again. And says this, and God says this to him, why are you so angry, Cain? Why do you look so dejected? You'll be accepted if you do what is right, but if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out, sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. When, you're, when our heart wanders away from the Lord, one act of obedience will lead to another act of obedience and will lead to another one. Sin here is described as a wild animal. It's kind of like laying in wait outside of your door, ready to grab you when you, when you step outside, ready to, to tear you apart. That's what, it's, that's what the picture is that is shown here in Genesis chapter 4. And James, he kind of says the same thing here in James chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when... His, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. One thing leads to another, to another, to another, and in the end, it leads to death. You're like, man, I didn't come to church to hear this this morning. Is there any hope in this passage? Good question. There is good news. Praise God, there is great news. We can't escape the, the, the power of sin in our lives. God said to Cain that he needed to control sin, that he needed to subdue sin and be its master. How? By consistently doing what is right. We break sin's power over our lives. But I tried that. And I failed. I'm with you on that one. I tried it so many times. And I tried to break sinful patterns in my life right after I became a Christian. And even today, you know, sometimes there's like... like, like um, like sinful patterns that kind of develop in your life and you want to you wanna subdue it, but you, it just doesn't work. It seems like, you know, every time you try, it comes back worse. Every time you try to uh, have dominion, have, have victory over that sin in your life, that, 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 that thing that's happening all the time, you try to control it, but it doesn't work. It doesn't. I failed miserably many times. You know what, if you try to say to someone who is addicted to a certain sin, doesn't matter what that sin is, it's kind of like the same as, as like, you know, when you have a, um, like a, the kitchen top and there's some fish standing on the kitchen top that's like marinating, you want to get it on the barbecue or something like that, you're already looking forward to it, but you have a cat. How many of you have cats? How many of you are cat people in this place, right? So, the, so a cat, when he smells the fish there, the cat would jump on the kitchen top to eat the fish. And you could tell the cat to not eat the fish, but you can't tell the cat to eat, not eat the fish because it will eat the fish, right? That's the same with us. You know, we're, we're, we're smelling, you know, the temptation and it's, it looks good, it smells good and everything is good, just like that fruit from the, from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and we want to eat it because it looks so good. And we can't control it anymore. It's out of control. But there's something more to it. And that is the heart attitude. It's all about the heart. How we can gain that victory over temptation, over sin in our lives. We can try to do good. We can try to be religious in our own strength. We may look good on the outside. We may not eat that fish from the kitchen top, if you're a cat. But something is going on inside of us that, that when somebody's not looking, you want to have a piece of that. You do it anyway, because 
Your heart has not been dealt with. There needs to change something. There's something that needs to change in our hearts. It's the heart attitude that matters. And that was the thing that was different between these two men, between Cain and Abel. Their heart had a totally different outlook. You know what God said to Samuel when he had to select a new king for the Israelites? He said this, people look at the outward appearance, but the, the Lord look, looks at the heart. Something needs to change in our hearts. And the Apostle Paul says this, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. So if you don't want to carry out the desire of the flesh, in other words, if you don't want to uh, fall into sin over and over and over again, the only thing that you have to do is walk by the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit. It's that easy, right? And that's the key. We need to walk by the Spirit. We need to be led by the Spirit of God and we won't fall into sin. Be led by the Spirit. How you, you, do you become led by the Spirit? By opening up your heart to the Holy Spirit in your life. And he, his, He's available for you right now. He wants to fill you to overflowing. He wants to give you that breakthrough that you need in your life today. And last week we, we saw that the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Sonship. The Spirit of Sonship. When we give the Holy Spirit room, there is no more room for the orphan spirit. There's no more room for the slave spirit when we do it. We need the spirit of sonship in our life. Romans 8, 14 and 15 says this, for as many as are led by the spirit of God, these are the sons of God and the daughters of God included. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. What does Abba mean? Daddy. So, his spirit works together with our spirit. And because of that, we, we have this sense of this amazing relationship with God. We have this, this sense that he really is our Abba Father. He really is our Heavenly Father. We can sit on Daddy's lap. So take on number two. When I give room to the Holy Spirit in my life, I will subdue the power of sin. I will subdue the power of sin. The spirit of sonship casts out the orphan spirit. So give room to the Holy Spirit and you will gain victory over over that wild enemy, animal that wants to destroy you, that's waiting for you at the door. With Christ, you are more than a conqueror. Somebody can say amen to that. Come on, man. Help me out here. But Cain, he didn't stop the cycle of sin in his life. He didn't try to control that orphan spirit. So bad led to worse. And he killed his own brother. And then the Lord again approaches Cain, and he asks, where is your brother? Where is Abel? But Cain did the same thing as his parents did. When they were disobedient to the Lord, they started hiding. They started to hide between the trees. They started to uh, sew together fig leaves for clothing so that the Lord wouldn't see that they were naked. And then when the Lord spoke to them, they were shifting blame to each other. And that's the same thing what Cain did, you know, when, when the Lord came to him. He said, well, it's not me, it's not my fault. He started. I don't know, am I my brother's keeper, he says. But God knew what Cain had done and he banished him from the land just as he had banished Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden. And it's interesting to see how in this story here, how Cain is, is, is sorry, but he's not sorry for his sin. He's sorry for the consequences of his sin. He's, he's sad that, you know, that, that, that God punished him and, and put him out of the land there. And he doesn't want to come closer to God. He doesn't. And Genesis 4.16 proves it. And this verse to me is key in this whole story. It says this, Cain left 
the Lord's presence and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Have you thought of that verse? He left the presence of the Lord. He left the Lord's presence. How on earth can you and I leave the Lord's presence? I mean, God is everywhere, right? He's omnipresent with the theological term. God is everywhere, but this is, he did the same thing what his parents had done. He hid between, his, between his, the trees of his sin and shame. Did you ever notice what the, what the meaning is of that name, Nod? Nod means wandering. It's kind of like the wandering of an of a aimless fugitive. Instead of drawing near to God's heart, he wandered away from God as, as far as he could. As, he wanted to be as far away from God as possible, away from the manifest presence of the Lord. And you know what? My desire is to be as close to God as possible, and I hope that's your desire too. But because of what was going on in his heart, he needed to be as far away as possible. And maybe you're here today and you feel the same way. You know, you think whatever you've done, you're not worthy anymore to be in God's presence. And maybe you're actually at a, at a, at a crossroads in your life where you're thinking, well, well, maybe this is the last time I'm going to try church today. This is the last time I'm going to try God because I feel like he doesn't accept me. I feel like, I feel like he condemns me. I feel like the people of God condemn me. But you know what? The one thing that we should not do when we're in a situation like that is start wandering, start, start fleeing away from the Lord's presence to our own nod. We gotta stay close. We gotta stay close to Him. So if you feel like Cain, if you feel like you've done something that can't be forgiven, let me tell you this one thing. You cannot wander far away, enough away from God for Him to not seek you and find you. He will seek you and find you. Let's take on number three today. Stop wandering. Start following. Start following Jesus. You know what Jesus says? No matter where you are in your life today, no matter the mistakes that you've made, no matter the sin and the shame that you're carrying with you, no matter, no matter what the pain is that other people have caused um, in your life, what he's saying to you today is, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest from your aimless wandering. He'll give you rest. He just says, come to me, come to me. King David, he said this one thing when he felt like God was far away from him. He said this, Psalm 139, verse seven through 10. And you know what? It's an amazing prayer what he prays here. Amazing song he composed. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hands shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. It doesn't matter how far you feel like you're away from God. You will never be out of his reach. Never. I had to think of the story of of the good shepherd and his 100 sheep. You know, this one sheep kind of loses his way or, or drifts away from the fold, you know, on purpose. He was a little bit like Cain, wandering through the desert. Now, what does the good shepherd do? He doesn't do the math and say, well, I got 100 sheep, I lost one. That's 1% of my 
net equity that I, that I have is it's not a big deal. Let's just let's just spare ourselves the time. I'll just just kind of bother about this one thing. No, he doesn't do it. A good shepherd will make sure that 99 sheep are are safe, and he will go after the one the, that one sheep, the one sheep that has drifted off, carry it back on his shoulders. I don't know about you, but you might be that lost sheep. I was that lost sheep once. Cain is that lost sheep. The question that we need to ask ourselves, will we allow the good shepherd to carry us on our shoulders, on his shoulders and carry us back to the fold, carry us back to the father's bosom, father's heart. God has done everything on his end to restore the relationship with you. He sent his son Jesus to the world to die for your sin so you could be forgiven. And he rose again on the third day so that you may have life, life the way it was meant to be, life abundant, life eternal. When he hung on that cross and we're going to, you know, have Good Friday services and an Easter service in just a few weeks from now, when he hung on that cross, Jesus, there were nails in his hands, nails in his feet, suffering intense pain, but his arms were spread out just like this, as if he was saying, come to me, come to me, come to me. I love you. I will never put you away from me. I'll, I'll always love you in spite of the mistakes, in spite of the, the wrongs that you've done, in spite of how you've hurt me, how you've hurt other people. I still love you. And Jesus is saying to you today, stop wandering. Start following. Return to me with your whole heart. Draw near to me. I'll draw near to you. That's what Jesus says to us. You know what? In, in, in God's presence, in Jesus' presence, there's fullness of joy. Fullness of joy. I'm not sure where you are in your life at this moment, but maybe you feel like all joy has left you. You're like, you feel dry and weary. and You feel like the weight of sin and of wrong choices is weighing you down. There's hope in Jesus. There's hope for you. So why don't we just all close our eyes and bow our heads at this moment. Why don't we all just think of Jesus and of him being our good shepherd and why don't we all take a step in our own heart, you know? We all have the tendency to backslide, to kind of uh, stay away from God as, as much as we can from, from time to time, but... Let's say to him, Lord, I return to you with my whole heart. We want to return to you, God. We want to return to you, Jesus. We thank you that you don't look at us and, and see just sinful people that are not worthy to be in your presence, but you, that, that when we draw near to you with our mistakes, with our wrongdoings, you see your son, Jesus. We're clean. We're washed clean because of his blood that was shed for us. And thank you that whatever I have done, in my life, whatever mistake I've made, you will never reject me, Jesus. And today I want to stop wondering and I want to start following Jesus. I want you to be number one in my life. I want to make that, take that step to, to put you first, Jesus. God, I thank you for who you are and what you do in my life. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed. I know there's some people in this room right now the Bible calls us, you're in the valley of decision. You're, 
We're at a, at a moment where, you, where God is actually prompting your heart at this moment. His Holy Spirit is actually prompting your heart at this moment. He's saying to you, there's a decision you have to make today. I love you. I have a plan for you. I want to restore your life. There's so much more that, that you haven't received till now. And I want you to step into that full potential, that full purpose, full plan what you have. What he has for you. So if, if that's you, if you feel like God is a million miles away, if you feel like he's rejected you, if you feel like, like maybe like, like this Cain who left the presence of the Lord and was living in, in the land of Nod, he was an aimless wanderer. If you feel like that, you feel like you're wandering your life, maybe this is your, the last chance you wanted to give to God and to this church. If that's you, I want to help you be restored in your relationship with God. I want to help you take that one little baby step back to Jesus because he went the full way for you by, by dying on the cross for you. If that's you, if you want to see your relationship with him restored, if you want to have peace with God, if you, wanna, if you want your life to be overflowing with joy and with his presence and, and you want to look for the amazing plan that God has for your life, I want to invite you to take one bold step in just a moment with everyone with their heads bowed and their eyes closed because we don't want to make this a show. We don't want to, you know, we don't want to, uh, you know, single you out in any way. But if that's you, if you long for that, I want to invite you to raise your hand because I want to pray with you. I want you to, I want to help you take that step to the Lord. I see a hand right there. I know there's more people that need to, thank you very much. I see that hand. I see another hand there, another hand right there. I know there's more hands in this room, more people that need to take this step today. They need to be, feel like they're forgiven and, and, and can be close to the Lord again. If that's you, just raise your hand. One more chance I want to give to you. All right, thank you so much. We're going to pray together. Let's all pray out loud. Father, we thank you for, I thank you for your son, Jesus, that he came to this world to die on the cross so that I could be forgiven, so that I don't need to hide anymore. God, I want to thank you for forgiveness that I'm washed white, washed clean. And thank you that your son rose on the third day so that I may have life, life abundant and life eternal. Today, I'll stop hiding and start, start following. Jesus, be my number one. Be my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen.